Amen. How many of you were just so overjoyed to wake up this morning to a beautiful sunny day, 36 degrees outside? I never thought I would ever get to a place in my life where I would thank God for 36 degrees, but here I am thanking God for 36 degrees. I had uh, one of my friends, Andrew, he came up from Staten Island for the weekend to hang out with us, and he just told me that he kind of chuckled to himself as he checked the thermostat on his car, and the temperature went from like almost 50 to 40 to 30, the higher he got, to the teens, and then you factor in wind chill, you know, it's in the single digits, and he just kind of chuckled about that. I finally understand why people up north are called the frozen chosen. Um, So I am now a part of the frozen chosen, and we freeze together. (laughs) My name is Pablo Vargas. I'm the youth and family uh, pastor here at Grace Assembly. If you haven't had a conversation with me yet, And if you haven't had a conversation with me me yet, I'd love to connect with you in any way that I can. But uh, today we're going to be continuing the series that Pastor Doug began a few weeks back entitled Benchmarks of Faith. Uh, The purpose of this series is to grow in our walks by growing in our understanding of some very key elements that should be evident in the lives of every person who calls on the name of Jesus. Um... I hope that, uh, how, how many of you guys remember uh, the title of last week's message? I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm probably never going to forget it just because I thought it was so awesome. Uh, it was spiritual fitness in a flabby generation. And uh, I just couldn't help but think of that every time I went to the gym this past week. And uh, I just hope that some of us hit our spiritual gyms this past week so that we do not become spiritually flabby as There's something about the word flabby that just, you know, there's imagery in my mind that just, it won't go away. (laughs) But uh, today we're going to continue discussing uh, actually something that could be considered a spiritual exercise, uh, which is prayer. We're going to be talking on uh, prayer that is beyond me, prayer that is beyond me, prayer that is beyond ourselves. Um, I'm going to share a story that the youth have heard twice uh, in the last two months that Uh, You haven't heard yet, and if you're a youth here, you're going to get it a third time, so buckle up. Uh, How many of you have, how many of you, like, maybe you know them today, you you have a kid in your life who they are the know-it-all in your life, like, any time you come around them, they act like they know everything, they correct you, you know, they they just know absolutely everything. Um, Despite the life experience that you have over them, despite the lessons that you have learned because of your experience, living longer than them, you know, they, they, just, they just act like a know-it-all. And uh, I'll be the first to admit that that was me when I was a kid. Uh, I'll be also the first to admit that I was kind of a punk when I was a kid. Uh, I still am today, however, I've been redeemed. And so, you know, I'm, I'm still a punk. Um, however... There's one thing that happened to me that changed my life drastically by putting uh, some filters in my mind, and that was getting married. I have filters in my brain now that when I think of, you know, something sarcastic or, you know, something, you know, witty to say or anything like that, it's almost as if Rachel's voice is in my head just telling me, Pablo, shut up. (laughs) To which I say, okay. (laughs) She's not even there, and I say, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, But when I was a kid, uh, well, well, first off, before, before I go into that, Uh, How many of you have been saved for at least 10 years? 20 years? I'm not going to go beyond that. I don't want to do that to people. But needless to say is we we have people here who may may have been saved for maybe only a couple of months, and we have people here who have been saved by by many, 
for many, many years. Uh, and when we first got saved, did we know how to pray? Absolutely not. Uh, when I first got saved, I did not know what I was doing in prayer. I, I, I knew that I was supposed to have a conversation with God, but I didn't know what to talk about. You know, I, it, it was one of those things where I was like, hey, God, uh, how you doing? You know, like, uh, I hope you had a good day. I had an all right day, you know, th things like that, just because I didn't know what to say or, or do or, you know, where to go, really, in prayer. And as I got, um, you know, a, a little more mature in my Christian faith, uh, I thought that I had created the ultimate formula on how to say the perfect prayer. Uh, it was the ultimate formula that if you prayed a prayer like this that is broken down into three different parts, you were guaranteed to receive from God everything that you could ever hope for, everything that you could ever ask for. And so my formula for prayer was worship plus others equals my blessings. So that formula began by I would begin my, uh, my prayers by just worshiping God and acknowledging him and, you know, just using some words that I probably didn't know the definitions to uh, and, and, and just sounding really, really, really uh, awesome and sophisticated in my prayers and just, again, praising God and worshiping. Then I would begin lifting the needs of others first. And so I would, you know, just this person needs a healing, th this family needs provision, and, you know, these people need this and that, and, you know, put the, put the needs of others before me. And then I would conclude, this was, this was the main event of the prayer formula. I would conclude by asking God for everything that it was that I wanted at that time. And I thought that this was the ultimate formula because God would see that I worshiped him first, I put others' needs before mine, and lastly I asked for myself last so humbly that God would see my heart and say, you know what, I'm going to give you everything you ask for, Pablo, because... You are just such a humble person, and I just see that I have just, I have perfected you, Pablo. Um, I quickly discovered that the formula that I had in my mind was the dumbest thing I ever thought of, and it was actually heretical, and uh, I, uh, I, I, I it, it was all because I thought I could outsmart God. Uh, let me be the first to tell you that you cannot outsmart the creator of the universe. Uh, if you think you can, you have some lessons to learn like I did. My goal in those kinds of prayers uh, was to seem selfless, putting others' needs before mine in, in my prayers and worshiping God before I did anything. And as I grew in my faith and, and in my interest in the Bible, what did I begin to do? I began reading it more. And so as I began reading the Bible more and, you know, more and more, and I just continued to grow interested, you know, I would continue to learn, I would continue to grow, but naturally I would stumble upon verses that would kind of continue to destroy that prayer formula that I thought I had created that was just so perfect in just receiving everything that you could ever want from God. And there was one verse in particular that I stumbled across that kind of put the final nail in the coffin for that prayer formula that I just so cleverly created, which is 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. And in that moment, I knew, oh my gosh, God literally is exposing me right now for the fraud that I was at that time. 
Uh, I thought that I could outsmart God. I thought that I was smarter than he was um, or that he, than he is. And I quickly discovered, you know, I, I swallowed a pill called pride and I uh, quickly discovered that I was not as smart as I thought I was. I was not as clever as I thought I was. I thought that I could outsmart God when God knew my heart all along. The problem with my, uh, my prayer life in that season of my life was that though I was trying to think beyond myself and my prayers, the focus really was on me the entire time. I lifted up others from a place of selfishness, hoping to receive what I wanted because I did my duty of putting others before me in a moment of prayer. Again, the focus was on me the entire time, even though I was trying to make it seem like it was on others. And there, there exists this tendency uh, within all of us because of our fallen nature to fall to something called self-preservation, uh, meaning that we want to, you know, we, we want to be, you know, the, the survivor, you know, survivor of the fittest. You know, we want to pray, you know, our needs and all this and focus on us and better ourselves uh, and things like this. And it's almost a, a natural thing, a, a, te- a natural tendency rather that exists within us. But uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. Is how many in this room have ever gone through a difficult season in your life? I put both my hands up because I may only be 27 years old, but I have gone through it uh, for real. The struggle was real. Uh, I, I, grew up, I grew up in a world where I, I didn't have a perfect uh, home life. Uh, my parents split up when I was very young. Um, went through financial struggles on both ends of my parents. Uh, uh, many times throughout my high school career, found, found myself, you know, my sisters and I and parents found ourselves uh, in situations where we were homeless, didn't really have a stable place to call home, and uh, it, was, it was a tough thing. And when we go through seasons like this, our focus is all on, and, and even our prayer lives are all on, God, help me. God, I need you to deliver me. God, I need you to give me strength and get me through this. Now, I want to set the record straight and communicate clearly to you that I am in no way saying that lifting all of your needs to God in your moments of difficulty, struggle, uh, whatever it may be, is something to be shamed for because we are told, we are instructed in Scripture to do this. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. What I want to communicate today is that there is a perspective we, uh, we can all attain that helps us live beyond ourselves and pray beyond ourselves. Uh, and I, I truly believe that if the people of God, not just Grace Assembly, but all over the world, captured the heart behind this perspective we would see some pretty amazing things uh, happening on a daily basis all over the world. And I believe God is doing a work in the hearts of his people to reignite the flame within us to go into our workplaces, neighborhoods, cities, the world, make disciples, see people baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded to us in Scripture, knowing that he is with us, every step of the way to the very ends of the age. This is what's known as the Great Commission. 
Um, I believe God wants his people to become, and this is a phrase that I'm going to kind of coin throughout this message, that if, if you were to get anything from this message today, I just want you to really just grasp this, this one phrase and the meaning behind it. Uh, I believe God wants his people to become commission conscious. Commission conscious. It's really funny how this word uh, conscious and the word conscience are so close that I was texting Pastor Mark yesterday back and forth and I was like, which one's the right word if I'm wanting to communicate this or that? And we, you know, we, we thought we were wrong a couple times just because they're very close in nature. But commission conscience, conscience, conscious, there we go. Uh, he wants us to become commission conscious at all times and the only way that this can happen is by attaining the perspective that I'm going to be talking about today. And I know that, you know, I've been kind of beating around the bush on what the perspective is a little bit, and I'm going to continue to do that. So if anybody is just getting a little frustrated with me right now, I am sorry. I'm going to continue to do it to you. Uh, but I promise you, I am getting there in this, this plane. This ship will uh, land very, very soon. Before I, before I move forward, how many of you guys love illustrations? Raise your hand. I am a very, <laughs> I see Lars smiling over there because he knows he's about to go through it. Uh, I'm a very visual person. I'm a visual learner, 100%. Uh, I was never really great uh, at just sitting down with words in front of me and not visualizing things. And so uh, I like illustrations because I really think that they drive a point in a message home. And uh, I shared this with the first service. I don't know what it is, but holding a staff like this makes you feel powerful. And I know that it's a stick, you know, it's not a staff, but it makes you feel like you know some form of martial arts that you really don't, that you'll probably end up hurting yourself just as much as you can anybody else trying to do something dumb with this. And I know because I've done it before and smacked myself in the head, and that is not how I got this scar, just saying. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to call my buddy Lars up. Lars, I, I, I told him about this last night, and so uh, he, had a, he had a full couple of hours to prepare. <laughs> Stretched, you know, just get ready. Now, here's, here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you pick what side of the platform do you want to stand on, this side or that side? All right, cool. You can stand right over here, Lars. What I'm going to have Lars do is hold this staff. Now, what I'm also going to have Lars do is hold the staff above his head until I tell him that he can put it down. Are you ready to do this? Okay, let's go. Let's start. Now... Just so that you know, uh, Lars had a couple of hour advance. You know, I told him this last night. Uh, I was going to use somebody else in the first service, but they didn't show up to the first service. And so I used my buddy Andrew, and I told him before first service, like, hey, man, I'm going to use you. And uh, it, was, it was quite a while. The benefit that Lars has is that these fans are on, and so it's not as hot. And so you might sweat. You're going to get tired, but you got this. I believe in you. So the instructions for the rest of the congregation is to ignore him. He doesn't exist, all right? Lars does not exist. We're going to come back to Lars at the end of the message. Are you guys ready? Lars doesn't exist. Boom, he's invisible. It's amazing. I have a couple of passages of Scripture that I want us to read today. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. It says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray uh, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation uh, in the knowledge of him. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. A couple more verses, Philippians 1.3. I give thanks to my God for every, uh, for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Colossians 1.3. We always thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And lastly, Philemon 1.4. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. These are the Apostle Paul's words written in each of these letters. And one thing that is clear to us from these verses is that Paul counted it a joy to be able to pray and intercede for others. His focus was entirely on encouraging these peoples uh, who, who were living in a culture where, honestly, seeking after the Lord Jesus you know, brought on persecution, and it wasn't a persecution like, oh, you know, you're going to get fined this, or, you know, you can't pray in your schools or anything. This was literally uh, persecution that could have caused death, you know, martyrdom, uh, if, if you were found guilty of being a Christian and following the te- teachings of Jesus. And so Paul would uh, focus on, in- uh, on encouraging peoples, warning them of false teachers at times, and correcting them when they needed correction so that they could thrive spiritually. The crazy part of all of these letters, all of the encouragement and all of the words that Paul wrote in these letters uh, was that Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are what are known as the prison epistles, meaning Paul wrote these words while he himself was in desperate need of prayer, imprisoned for simply calling upon the name of Jesus and being commission conscious Despite his situation, Paul clearly understood that his life was beyond himself. And by these scriptures, we can see that his prayers were genuinely beyond himself. How are you doing, Lars? You're holding your hands kind of high. You know, you might want to loosen up a little bit. I'm not, I'm not, don't lock your knees. Uh, I locked my knees once at a wedding. I was a groomsman. I almost passed out. Don't lock your knees. Uh, Anyway, moving forward. So uh, I, believe, uh, I, b- I believe that it is because of the, the perspective that Paul had uh, that caused him to be able to live his life like this. And it's a perspective that we can all learn by simply ob- uh, observing his life in Scripture. Paul's perspective on the way he lived and prayed was that he viewed all things in light of eternity. Now this is something big because we need to understand who Paul was before he was Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle was Saul, uh, who was a Pharisee, and he actually persecuted anybody who called on the name Jesus. He has a radical encounter with Jesus, and, and, and God takes the very same passion and zealousness that he had to persecute the church to further the gospel. And so this is who we are talking about right now. And so Paul, when he had this radical encounter with Jesus, having been on one end of the spectrum and now on the other, viewed all things in light of eternity meaning that he viewed his actions, his words, his prayers to the simple yet crucial measure of is what I am doing right now of eternal value. Being commission conscious will aid us in our ability to think, live, and pray beyond ourselves. But how can we maintain the ability to be commission conscious, especially in the uh, way we pray and intercede for others? 
How can we stay focused on something like this when there are distractions all around us? And I will be the first to tell you that I am easily distracted. How many easily distracted people are there in the room? How many of you can't keep your eyes off Lars? I know he's a good-looking dude, and, you know, he's showing off those guns and those tattoos up here. He looks, you know, he looks pretty good. His wife is over here blushing, you know, she's turning pretty red. But how can we stay focused on something like this when there are distractions all around? When, when I do my devotion or when I'm preaching or anything like that, I do not use my phone for the Bible because I know that all it takes for me to get uh, one alert, you know, from Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, blah, 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 ESPN, uh, and I get distracted. And so if I'm doing my devotions and I, I'm on my phone, I'm trying to be genuinely, you know, uh, focused on what I'm trying to do and accomplish, I get a notification. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to check it really fast. I have like four notifications. Let me just see what they are. People commented or liked, you know, what did they like? What did they say? Blah, 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 all that stuff. 20 minutes to a half hour later, you realize you got sucked into the black hole that is scrolling Facebook and Instagram at times when you're trying to do something that is productive for your life. And so that's why today I have all my scriptures typed out in my message and I have my phone in my pocket on airplane mode. That way I will not get distracted by anything. Uh, when, when I first became a youth pastor, I, I remember telling my youth kids that. And it was really funny how many phone calls I got while I was preaching because they just kept calling me and trying to distract me and stuff. And so that's why the airplane mode thing happens, so that that cannot happen. But this is all to say is that there are distractions everywhere. People get, can get distracted by phones, other people, work, worries, fears, by Lars up here holding the staff up. And one of the biggest distractions we all face Every day uh, from being intentional with anything is how comfortable we are in our daily routines. Our daily routines can become a distraction just because we're so comfortable in them that doing anything outside of that routine makes us uncomfortable or, you know, we just don't like it and so we stick to the routine. We are so often distracted that I bet only a few of you can remember the question that I asked before trying to distract you with this distraction about distractions. Right? Point proven. How you doing, Lars? You doing good? Dude, you're extending those arms up. Your shoulders, man, are going to be burning. Anyway, he doesn't exist. Boom. <laughs> I asked, how can we maintain the ability to be commission conscious, especially in the way that we pray and intercede for others? And I thought of no better way to kind of explain this by uh, uh, my, one of my own life stories, one of my own testimonies. Uh, it was 2016, we were in December, we were getting ready to, for the calendar to change over, and uh, at ICC, uh, the way that um, youth happens there is, uh, youth happens Wednesdays and Friday nights, and so Friday nights is the typical youth night uh, that, you know, we hang out, play some games, you hear a word, you know, we have some worship, worship, and then we just fellowship with one another. And Wednesday nights were like the small group night, you know, Bible study. We sit around in a circle. We kind of discuss through things, ask questions, and have some guided discussion with uh, the students. And so I asked the youth kids, again, this was December of 2016, uh, I asked some students, hey, uh, 2017 is right around the corner. Uh, let me ask you guys, what is it that you guys want to study? What is it that you guys are most curious of that you would like to just genuinely grow in your knowledge of and just grow uh, as an individual? Now, how many of us know that all kids, when it comes to the Bible, are curious about really one thing? You doing good? 
You all right? I don't know. I had Andrew do it for first service, and he didn't struggle until a couple more minutes. So I'm just trying to say. <laughs> anyway, he doesn't exist again. <laughs> so I asked them what they wanted to study, and of course, all the students were curious about the book of Revelation. So they all said Revelation in unison, and I felt so intimidated just because I knew that I had my work cut out for me, and I also knew that I would be learning as much as they would because of the nature of the book. And so in my study time and my preparation time, I just learned a lot. And don't worry, help is coming soon, I promise. I promise. You still look good. Um, while, while studying, I read about all of the judgments and just everything that happens in the book of Revelation. Uh, you know, for, there, there are the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and bowl judgments. Uh, and there would just be utter chaos happening on the face of the earth around this time. And I began asking the students a series of guided questions uh, to get them thinking uh, for themselves about what we were studying and talk through their thoughts. And uh, the questions when we hit Revelation chapter 8 were as follows. These verses have to do a lot with prayer. Why do you pray? And we had some great discussion about why they pray. Uh, we, we asked them, why should they pray? Again, great discussion about that. And then I asked them the question, which was the focus of the night is, how should you pray? How should you pray? And we are told by Jesus how we should pray in the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And I'm going to be reading out of translation that many of you might not be familiar with. It's called the CSB. Uh, it says, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do, no, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I began to ask the youth kids, what do our prayers, how you doing, Lars? Burning? Burning? All right, we're, we're going we're gonna to get Lars some help here. How many of you think that Lars needs help? Uh, I asked two people to come up, and so Jared, if you could come up, Nick, if you could come up, and what I'm going to need you to do is for the remainder of this message, Lars should be able to rest his arms in your arms as you hold his arms up, and the amazing thing that is going to happen now is that three people are going to disappear to you guys, and just don't focus on them. Here we go. You got the help that you needed, and just like that, boom, they're invisible. All right. So after we read the Lord's Prayer, I asked them, what do our prayers have to do with the end times? And, you know, we, we had a little bit of, you know, interesting back and forth. And I, I told them it all goes back to the Lord's Prayer. And so I had them say the Lord's Prayer again. And if you read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, you know, they got to the point where they said, your kingdom come, and I stopped them right there. And I asked them the question, what are you praying for when you pray for God's kingdom to come? And it was an amazing moment just to be able to see their eyes kind of open to the realities of what many of us have been praying for for years without even realizing it. This was one of those moments that when I was studying and the Holy Spirit just began speaking to my heart that I just stopped studying and I just spent a, a, a quite a while in prayer and just worship uh, to the Lord. I asked them, what are you praying when you pray that? What needs to happen before the kingdom of God is established forever and ever? And they all, you know, with like an aha moment said, well, the seals need to be opened, the trumpets need to resound, the bowls need to be poured out. All this chaos 
needs to happen on the face of the earth before the kingdom of God is officially established. Now this happens, you know, uh, after the rapture and, you know, all those things and God's people are gone, but it was one of those moments where the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart when I was in preparation for this, and it was almost as if I felt God just speaking to my heart and telling me, if you can be bold enough to pray this prayer and know what you're praying, will you also be bold enough to pray for others and tell them about me so that they are not counted among the ones whom, when this happens, will have to endure through these things. And it was, it, it was one of those moments where I just surrendered to God and I was like, God, there are so many people in my life that I love whom I know do not know you in the way that they should. There are so many people in my life who I love who do not know their identity in you. They don't know the purpose in which they were created for because they don't know you, God. And it was one of those moments in my life, you would think, you know, youth pastors have it all together, right? We do not. Uh, we do not at all. Pastors don't have it all together. We are humans. We do not have it all together. And so it was one of those life lessons that I learned where the Holy Spirit has put that lesson on the forefront of my mind where I think about it almost daily. And it's just my reminder to be commission conscious at all times, especially when I'm praying. To genuinely pray, God, Give, give me an encounter with somebody today who doesn't know you. God, begin creating divine appointments with the lost so that they can meet you in how you want to do it, Lord, so that you can reveal yourself to them in a way that makes them open their eyes and realize that you are the creator of the universe. And so, as I'm, as I'm wrapping up and the worship team can come up, what does a person who boldly prays thy kingdom come, fully understanding what they are saying, look like? I'll be the first to tell you that they look like Paul. That number one, they understand that the responsibility of stewarding the Great Commission is of eternal value. That like Paul, number two, they have the perspective of viewing all things in light of eternity. Meaning, there are often times in our lives where we seek after things that at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, have no eternal value. And, and we seek after these things and we waste so much time and I just, I just re remember getting serious about my relationship with God and thinking, man, if I, would, if I could have grasped what I know today when I was in high school, the impact that I could have made in the lives of people that I called my friends around me. And number three, despite their circumstances, often find themselves naturally praying for others. This right here, the praying for others part is a twofold uh, point because I already talked about praying for the lost, but the other fold, the other aspect of praying for others is praying for the very people that are in this room right now, praying for the body of Christ. Now we finally get to why Lars has been suffering up here. He's not invisible. It's amazing. Exodus chapter 17. Israel was at war with the Amalekites and Joshua entered that battle against the Amalekites with, with passion and, and with such a zeal to win. However, God's plan was to give his people victory in such a unique fashion that it could only be accredited to God as to how they got that victory. Moses was holding the staff of God above his head in a, in a high place in a hill over where the, this battle was happening. And uh, one, one observation that uh, we know in Scripture, if you read Exodus 17, was that when Moses was holding the staff up on, uh, over his head high, 
that the people of God were thriving. The people of God were getting the victory and it seemed like victory was at hand for them. The Amalekites were nothing. But if Moses grew weary and his hands came down, it was almost as if the Amalekites began to have the upper edge over the people of God. And so what happened? Did Moses, uh, you know, stand there holding the staff up by himself? No. Moses had two people by the names of Aaron and Hur who came up to him. They brought him over to a rock so that he could sit and rest his legs. And they carried the burden of his arms and holding the staff up over his head for him so that the victory can be assured. Now, Lars has only been doing this for maybe 20 minutes now. But Moses, the Bible specifically tells us, did it from the moment the sun rose that day to the moment it set. Imagine how exhausted Moses must have been. Imagine how much of a relief it must have been when uh, people that he loved and cared about came around him and helped carry the burden for the victory to be assured in a way that only God could get credit for. What does this have to do with prayer? Thank you for asking. When we pray for one another, when, when we intercede for one another and we begin lifting our voices up for one another, it's almost as if like Lars, Jared and Nick see Lars in his situation. He sees that he's struggling. He sees, you know, Lars may be in a battle in his life. You know, he may be in a difficult situation, a storm, a valley season of his life where he is holding his arms up in surrender in such a way that when the victory comes, only God could get the credit for the blessing that comes. However, naturally, like Moses, we grow weary. We grow tired. And we realize that we cannot do this by ourselves. That's the beautiful thing about being a part of the body of Christ, was that you were never meant to do life by yourself. You were never meant to walk this journey we call life alone and navigate our faith alone. But rather, God created us to be a part of his body so that if the body suffers, uh, if one, one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. If one struggles, we all struggle. If one mourns, we all mourn. If one celebrates, we all celebrate. And there are people all over the world today who have been fighting the good fight, but find themselves in seasons where they're growing weary find themselves in seasons where they're just exhausted and they feel like they're going to give up. And you know what? God hasn't given me the victory, you know, after so many years of praying for this. I'm just going to quit because God is clearly not hearing me. But when we pray, when we begin to lift our voices up, we're acknowledging that I see you in the midst of your situation that may look completely different from anything that you or I may be going through. I see you in the midst of your struggle. And I'm going to pray for you spiritually coming alongside you, holding your hands up and surrender to God, believing that God will give victory in a way that only he can and we will worship him through and when it actually happens. And there are, I, I know for a fact that it's 100% guaranteed that there are people in this body right now who may be in that valley season themselves, who you may be growing weary, you may be feeling exhausted. One thing that you should never, 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 never convince yourself of is that you're, you're in this alone because we're here for you. We love you. And we as Grace Assembly of God do life together. And so as we stand, 
I thought of no better way, if we could stand together, I thought of no better way for us to kind of respond to this message by worshiping. Just worshiping and lifting our voices. And here's what I want us to do. I have friends. I have, I have friends. <laughs> I, I have friends, I know. It's crazy. Uh, but I, I know that I have friends, I have family, I have people in my life whom I love with all my heart, who I know today are not right with God. People who have their hands up, you know, and even though they don't know God, they have their hands up, you know, trying to achieve some kind of victory and whatever it is that they might be holding in their hands might be the wrong thing, but, you know, their hands are up and they're growing weary, they're growing exhausted because they're trying to seek after things, they're trying to seek for answers and things in which they will never find the answers to. Let's pray for them today. Let's pray for them today. And so what I want us to do is Lars did it for 20 minutes, Moses did it for 24 hours, but for the duration of this one song, as long as you can, let's raise our hands and begin calling out the names of the people that we know need Jesus today. Let's begin calling out the names of the people who we know are going in through situations today that just need victory in their lives and need people to come alongside them in prayer and spiritually hold their hands up so that when the victory comes, God is the only one who gets the credit, amen?